the Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love, our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world through the prism of our Catholic social teaching. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And if we did that, our world would be a much, much better place. It would be more just. It would be more compassionate. And the reason why we talk about God, neighbor, and self, because those are the three fundamental relationships that are part of our human nature, constitutive of what it means to be human. If we go back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we can see that when creation, and there are two stories there, but basically the story is that when there was creation, you had a real integration of the individual, the individual with God, the individual with another human person. Integration might not be the right word, but there was a togetherness that was there. And when the fall happens, then those relationships are ruptured. Now, when you read the scriptures, you have to, the imagery is important. And the way I always think that those relationships are represented is the unity with God was represented by, in one of the stories of creation, where God and the man worked together in naming what was being created. There was a real kind of intimacy there. There was a togetherness that was there. And then when we move to the second relationship with other people, that finally, when the second human person is created, this one is um, flesh of my flesh. And this one is a partner with the first person. And so man and woman were created, created equally as partners to each other together. The third one, which again, I think is a little bit symbolic, but I think it's not a bad symbol, is that it said they were naked. But after the fall, they were embarrassed that they were naked. They weren't even comfortable, as we would say today, in their own skin. They weren't comfortable in their own bodies. There was that alienation between within themselves as a result of that. So that's why we say just love. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and compassionate because we got to build those relationships. We got to bring those together into a way in which there is unity. So, you know, we um, have passed um, Ash Wednesday. Oh, I'm sorry, we passed Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. and coming up is Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. And one of the uh, practices of Lent is the practice of almsgiving, of charity. And one of the kind of really valuable practices in the United States is a program that uh, Catholic Relief Services has put together, Operation Rice Bowl and a variety of other ways that they how to put life into action. So I am delighted that we have 
as our guest from Catholic Relief Services, Beth Kenobi, who is a senior trainer there. And we're going to talk to her about Lent and what's going on from the perspective of uh, Catholic Relief Services. And maybe a little we'll talk about Operation Rifle. Beth, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on Just Love. Well, hello, Monsignor Sullivan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Great. So let's let's have our listeners get to know you a little bit. What have you been doing? How have you how'd you wind up in this position as a senior training advisor? What were you doing before you were doing this? Sure. Well, I've been with Catholic Relief Services for about eight years, um, primarily uh, interfacing with our um, parishes and other Catholic audiences throughout the United States. Um, Prior to my work at Catholic Relief Services, I spent almost 10 years in campus ministry at the Shield Catholic Center at Northwestern University. Uh, My background is in, in education and ministry Um, And while I was in campus ministry, I actually had a chance to take students on mission each year to Nicaragua. It is what really planted in me this deep desire to serve the wider church around the world. And just so grateful to be able to share the stories of Catholic Relief Services work all around the world uh, with our Catholic communities in the United States. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you for the work that you have been doing. So Lent is coming up. And Everybody kind of says what what what's Lent's about is you got to give up chocolate, you know, you got, or you got to give up beer or alcohol. And I mean, I've been on this kick for a while, so our listeners know it. That I really think we sell Lent short, and we kind of use that as short. Well, I'll give up chocolate for Lent, and blah 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 blah. And you know, I really think that misses the whole spirit of Lent. I guess it's better than nothing, but not much. And so I'm delighted to let you speak a little bit about uh, how Catholic Relief Services kind of gets at one of the main parts of Lent in some of the programs that you work on with parishes. So take it away in any way that you want. Sure. And, you know, thanks for thanks for mentioning the things that we that we give up for Lent, because I I do think that's one way to think about the the spirit and spirituality of Lent. I think the other way to look at it is is what is God inviting us into? Who are who are the people in our world that that God is inviting us into deeper relationship with? Um, As you know, Catholic Relief Services, uh, CRS Rice Bowl program has it's been around for um, over 40 years. I think we're even coming up on 50 years in a few years from now. And you know, it's really our way of inviting the Catholic community into these pillars of, of prayer, um, fasting, and almsgiving. Um, it is a really simple program where uh, we invite uh, parishes to distribute these little cardboard boxes, uh, or people can also participate online comes with a whole variety of educational materials, learning about communities throughout the world who benefit through the support of Catholic Relief Services. And I think gives our communities in the United States um, a way to really channel those those pillars of Lent 
towards real people and real communities uh, who benefit uh, from their almsgiving in places around the world. So tell us a little bit about how did it get, I mean, I think that, you know, Operation Rice Bowl, I think when we think of rice, we probably maybe think of Asia and we think of, so how did, how did it get named Operation Rice Bowl? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, CRS Rice Bowl began with one parish in one diocese. Uh, it started in Allentown, Pennsylvania in 1975. There was a group of concerned parishioners who wanted to provide support to families in Africa. If you uh, back up the calendar to 1975, you might remember that, that there were many countries throughout Africa experiencing an extreme hunger crisis. And this community in Allentown came up for the idea with the idea of this little cardboard box fashioned to look like a bowl of rice. Um, and really a bowl of rice representing the type of food aid that the United States through local partners like Catholic Relief Services was providing to um, countries experiencing an extreme food and hunger crisis. Um, I think it was both representational, but also a way to remind us that, that our money goes to help real people. Um, and so that is that is where Rice Bowl was born. Uh, we've come a long way since 1975. You know, we still do have the little cardboard box, um, but we also have ways that people can go online, they can give online, they can download videos, uh, download lots of resources to share with, with their schools and parishes. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm a little simple when it comes to some of these kind of online stuff. And I know that they have like online stuff where um, you can light a candle in a church and you can do that. So if I go online, can I like drop a coin in a box online? <laughs> well, you know what your, what your community can do is set up an online giving page. And if you set up an online giving page, you can you can set a goal for your parish or your community. It has you know one of those fancy thermometers. So every time someone gives, you'll see the little red mark on the thermometer go up. Um, you know, but and, and do you but but do you hear it? Do you hear it kind of clink in the jar? Because if, <laughs> if it doesn't clink, I'm not doing it. Because I like the clink. I like I need that immediate feedback. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to our technology team and see if we can insert some sound effects. So every time someone donates, you you hear the ring of the cash register. Okay, I like it. Oh, well, that's good. That's good because you want a cash register, not a coin. So you want bills. Well, we will take bills and checks and credit and credit cards, including oh, your my. credit card, Monsignor Sullivan. Okay. So flash on my screen, approved. <laughs> uh so so anyway so you begun with a hundred with one parish in 1975 in allentown as you mentioned you're getting close to the 50th anniversary of of rice bowl in a couple of years how how has it grown what what do we how many parishes now throughout the country i know it's probably hard to say but how widespread is it mm -hmm. 
You know, I think we have parishes in almost every single diocese across the United States who participate. Um, you know, I, I think there's something like 14,000 schools, parishes, Catholic hospitals, retreat centers, and other organizations who order rice bowl materials every year. So it really does have this, have this wide reach. I think, I think one of the, even just anecdotally, one of, one of my favorite stories is, you know, when, when we have new staff join Catholic Relief Services, you know, we sometimes ask, how did you, how did you hear about us? Um, and because Rice Bowl has been around for so long, people will say, well, I, I did Rice Bowl back in first grade or third grade. Uh, so it's, it's often people's first touch point with the work of Catholic Relief Services. So we're speaking with Beth Kenobi, the Senior Training Advisor for Catholic Relief Services. So, you know, Beth, you mentioned that you were in campus ministry and that Rice Bowl should be more than just a donation. It's a broadening thing. Um, so let me ask you this, because it always has seemed to me that that's the real hard part. That's the challenge. I think many Catholics, most people say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'll give five bucks. I'll give $50. I'll give whatever to help feed a family in, in, in Africa. I'm very, you know, people need to eat. But that's it. They don't want to know kind of broader things. So what's your experience in trying to do some of the educational stuff surrounding Rice Bowl? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? The church really invites us into this, this season of fasting and almsgiving. And, you know, I think one thing I challenge people to do is, is to consider what they're giving up and how does that translate into how we're giving through our, through our almsgiving. You know, so one thing we do as, as part of CRS Rice Bowl is we publish meatless recipes from all of our featured countries. So, you know, someone might consider if I'm if I'm not eating meat on Friday, you know, maybe I can look up a recipe from another country, um, you know, have a have a mom from a village in Zambia teach me what it's like to, to cook a meal from her country. And and then in in what we save in eating more simply on on a Friday or throughout Lent, putting that money into our into our rice bowl, whether it's our physical cardboard box or our digital online giving, um, and really making that sacrifice and making that connection between the sacrifice we're making to an actual family um, in Honduras or the Philippines or Kenya or some country around the world. So you've been doing this for a while. Do you have any kind of favorite stories of interesting things that different parishes or schools have done to um, to promote, to kind of do the work of, of Rice Bowl? Mm. You know, I, I think one of uh, one of my favorite things that parishes do is is to think about how CRS Rice Bowl can be incorporated into the things they're already doing. You know, it, it doesn't have to be uh, a separate event. It can be worked into the things you're already doing. So we know that many parishes host uh, and pray the Stations of the Cross on Friday. If you go to the CRS Rice Bowl website, 
we've compiled a set of Stations of the Cross where you can pray for and with people around the world and use that, that CRS Stations of the Cross as your prayer with your, with your parish um, on a Friday during Lent. We know that many parishes host fish fries, um, either with the parish or maybe your local Knights of Columbus host the fish fry. You know, that's a great opportunity to maybe take one of those recipes, take the little cardboard box, um, use that fish fry as an opportunity to also share stories of, of the people who benefit from this work um, during that event where your community is, is already gathered. Um, and I think schools are also a unique place. You know, I mentioned we have we have videos, we have lesson plans. Um, I heard from one school last year where their eighth grade religion teacher really challenged her students uh, to own the story and embrace the story. And then the eighth graders in turn went around to the first, second, third, fourth grade classroom and, and the eighth graders really became the teachers. Um, they were the ones distributing rice bowls to the to the younger grades and sharing the story of the impact um, that their almsgiving has on families around the world. That's great. So Beth, I'm going to, we're speaking with Beth Kenobi, the Senior Training Advisor for Catholic Relief Services. Uh, we've been speaking about uh, Lent as a time of kind of giving up, but also getting involved and in, in, in giving to others. Um, Beth, I'm going to kind of change topics a little bit because of when you introduced yourself, um, you talked about you took trips to Central America. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and right now in the country, we are experiencing a surge of migration from Central America. What, what insights do you have into the current situation? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you know, it's such a question that's on the forefront of, of the minds of so, so many of us, right? And I think one of the things that, that is really incredible about the work that Catholic Relief Services does, and CRS has a, has a strong presence throughout the countries of Central America. And, you know, part of what we try to do is really equip local communities um, with the tools that they need to be successful and to thrive. You know, one of the stories that, that um, you'll read about in Rice Bowl this year is from Honduras. One of the big challenges in Honduras right now is that they are e experiencing this um, extreme period of drought. The rainy season doesn't come at the same predictable time that it, that it usually does. Uh, farmers are finding themselves in crisis because their crops aren't growing, um, which crops for them is also food. It's food for their family, but also also income. And so CRS is really looking at what are what are simple solutions that we can provide. And you know, one one simple solution, and you'll you'll hear Ronnie tell this story. He's a he's a farmer in Honduras of how Catholic Relief Services helped him set up a really simple irrigation system. It's very, very low cost, uses pipes and hoses, but it has made all the difference for him in being able to uh, produce a crop for his family despite uh, um, excessive dry seasons one after another. And for a farmer like Ronnie, that could be the difference between what it takes for him to be able to stay and know that he's going to be successful 
versus all of the other options of do I leave and move to the city to find work as a day laborer? Do I risk sending myself or one of my children um, to, to, to migrate to another country? Um, you know, what CRS is doing is really helping to people to, to not only survive, but to thrive in the environments in which they are. We believe that people, people have a right. People have a right to the home that is theirs. Um, and obviously, as, as you have alluded to, people also have a right to migrate, to find, to find safety, um, to find, to find a, a better life and a successful life. Um, I think those two things really, really work together. Um, especially as we as we look at the situation um, of of migration here in the United States. Beth, thank you for sharing. So let me let me just ask you one final question before I let you go. What do you like about what you do? Oh, you know what I what I love is is obviously the people. I, I get to work with with wonderful people, folks that that work for different dioceses, uh, individuals who are you know, passionate about making connections with our global human family. And, and I feel so blessed and privileged to have had the opportunity to travel both on my own and with Catholic Relief Services. But I recognize that, you know, the, the average Catholic in the pew who's picking up, picking up a rice bowl on Ash Wednesday or on the first Sunday of Lent, you know, may not ever have an opportunity to travel to a place like Honduras. Um, but through the work that we do sharing this story, I hope they feel a sense of solidarity. I, I feel like I hope that people feel like they have been there, um, even though what they're seeing is is videos and reading stories and and living and growing in solidarity through these simple meals and and through their generosity in almsgiving throughout Lent. We're speaking with Beth Kenobi who is the Senior Training Advisor for Catholic Relief Services. Beth, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us, and thank you for the work that you are doing. And I'm going to go online, and I hope you speak to your technical people, because if I can hear the cash register, I'm going to give you more money. <laughs> thank you so much, Monsignor Sullivan. Thanks for thanks for the conversation today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Um, Hey Tom, you um, you yourself. Um, how long ago was it when you traveled with Catholic Relief Services? I traveled in two thousand in September of two thousand ten, Monsignor. So it's okay. going on thirteen years ago. And you went to? We went to uh, we went to Ethiopia and to Tanzania. Uh, okay. And hmm. and pri and primarily it was to 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 witness in in Ethiopia. We were able to go to where CRS works with USAID to kind of, uh, they were the organization that was in charge of um, really all of the food assistance for that part of, of Africa. I mean, there were these enormous tents uh, that they just had food that at that time uh, was being um, stored in the event of a famine. And of course, now we know in Ethiopia, uh, in, in, in Djibouti and, and those other places, there is food difficulty there. So I'm sure they're using it. And in okay. Tanzania, I know that Beth made mention of sort of drought. We were there with water assistance projects. Catholic Relief Services was sinking wells for uh, the communities there. And it was just amazing to see the difference between the communities before they had areas that before the well was sunk and after. And it was just the difference between, you know, very dry, un, you know, uh, brown ground. And then 
the other was just green and vibrant and, and it was really amazing to see what what water would do you know um and just the sanitation that was available too i mean children the community came and told us that before children would die regularly in these villages and after they had access to the clean water children didn't die anymore so that was an amazing thing as an american to hear that 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 is actually a consequence uh that people are dealing with tom thank you so much for sharing that with us um i think we'll take a break just love just love god just love your neighbor and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate we'll be back in just a moment on the catholic channel sirius xm 129 Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love, our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world from the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is our weekly conversation about the world through the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. Hey, Tom, have you ever, you ever done rice bowl? I did, Monsieur. I did rice bowl back I was one of the, probably, I guess I, I would have been one of those early adopters <laughs> if it was 50 years ago. I remember doing it in grammar school. I do. I remember doing rice bowl then. And uh, I remember us taking it home and I remember us having it on the kitchen table. 
and uh, you know we would just be putting change into it, you know, every day, um, and it just stayed to be, you know, a presence on the table all during Lent. So I remember that. I do. I remember that. So how do you get them? Do we have them here in in New York? Uh, we well, they generally go out to the parishes directly, Monsignor. So they don't really ship them. I think, which is probably a good thing because they used to ship out a lot of rice bowls that maybe would go unused. Um, okay. And so I think you have to order them because if you think that actually saves a lot of trees, which is a good thing. So you either can do that. You can either um, they go to your parish directly. You get them from your parish if it's participating or for those folks that um, want to go online, you go to the CRS website, crs.org. And then what you can do is you go to their rice bowl tab, the rice bowl page, and you can download a printable rice bowl. And so what it is, is you get, um, you know, you can print out the rice bowl and you can get any container and it turns into like a sticker you can put on top and, and you can make your own. Wow. This is too complicated. I just want to take my money and put in the rice bowl. But uh, I think you're right, Monsieur. Hopefully they'll do what you said and they'll put the little, yeah, put the little sound effect. Yes, register. I so I, when, I, when I make my contribution... It's there at least, if I do a credit card, at least I can hear the swoosh of when it swipes <laughs> so that I I know. And then it could bing when it's approved. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, but I'm in favor of it, but we'll see. So listen, <laughs> let's go to our next guest. Okay. Lucas Swanpole, who is the Senior Director for Government Relations of Catholic Health Association. And <clears throat> he may not admit it, but I consider Lucas to be a friend, and I'm delighted that he is joining us on Just Love. Lucas Swanpole, thank you for joining us on Just Love. Thank you, Monsignor. Thanks for having me. It's great to join you. Great. It was good to see you in Washington last week. Did you survive the reception? We did. We did. It was a good It was a good reception. It was great that you guys had such a great gathering come down this year. It was awesome. We did. I mean, it was so... Catholic Charities um, and a variety of other Catholic social ministry people um, kind of gather uh, for a couple of days to kind of share best practices, a little bit of workshop, networking. And part of it is also putting before uh, Congress some of the critical policy issues that are part of our Catholic mission, whether they be in the area of healthcare, when they be in the area of food, a variety of topics that were there. And so um, I was really lucky to run into Lucas, who was who was down there. So, Lucas, let's talk a little bit about um, in Black History Month, uh, talk about Black maternal health and some of what's going on in in that area. What a, what's, tell us a little bit about that. Well, thanks, my senior. I think, you know, it's important we get these opportunities at the beginning of a new Congress. I think the, the news moves on to what's going to happen next and what are the exciting things. But we kind of forget to look back and all the kind of great achievements we did achieve in the last really toward the end of the year last year. And one of them was around the issue related to maternal health. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of concern and questions about what's happening in maternal health. Why does America continue to do worse than so many other countries and particularly why do women of color, particularly black women, continue to have maternal mortality rates almost three times the rate of non-Hispanic white women? I think that those were the issues that drove a lot of the conversation last Congress. There was a 
what they call the Black Maternal Health Momnibus Act, which is a series of bills looking at different aspects of Black um, maternal health and things that we can do as a country to address those things. And I think we made a lot of progress throughout the year last year through either uh, the Inflation Reduction Act or, um, or, or even at the year-end omnibus bill. I think both of them provided a, uh, some real steps forward in both addressing maternal mortality generally, but in particular to maternal mortality for African-American women. So Lucas, did the Momnibus Act pass? So it wasn't passed as one giant bill, uh, but most of its provisions were included in different bills throughout the year. Okay. Uh, the original Momnibus was actually a series of 12 bills lumped together into one large package, which eventually were largely incorporated into a, a number of other bills. I got to tell you, Lucas, I mean, I'm, I'm not terribly deep, but I'd vote for something that was called a Momnibus. I kind of think it's a nice name. I think so, too. I think as Catholics, it's something we particularly get excited about is that kind of support that we can do is, is health care, but more broadly is the institutional Catholic Church to help moms. Yeah, I think that's good. So give our listeners a little sense. I know it didn't pass as a kind of complete comprehensive, but provisions. Is. What do you see as, um, excuse me, what do you see as some of the kind of important parts of it that did get passed that are now part of the part of the landscape of healthcare. Well, one that we did a lot of work on, and we did this together with the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, was about addressing uh, Medicaid postpartum coverage. As we know, Medicaid pays for nearly half of all births in our country. Uh, and of course, it's the, it's the health insurance that covers the lowest income of mothers in our country. So uh, but one of the problems that were in the bill or in the program uh, in many states was that after birth, uh, the mother often would lose access to health insurance. And one of the things that we see is that when you look at the various studies of what are the causes of maternal mortality, uh, a large number of those deaths actually happen post, uh, postpartum, so after birth, including weeks and months after uh, the woman gives birth. So we thought to find a way to address this problem, and that is making sure that new moms are covered with health insurance for an entire year after they give birth. And that was included uh, in the final bill. Now, it didn't go quite as far as we had hoped. We wanted it to be a kind of a required aspect of Medicaid. But what it did do was allow for our states across the country to include that one year of postpartum coverage as part of their Medicaid plan. And the great news is that even prior to this and now even after this, we see an increasing number of states actually taking that step. So over 30 states have already taken the steps to include Medicaid postpartum for one year uh, after, after, the, after birth, uh, which we think was a huge win uh, for mothers, particularly low-income mothers, but more importantly uh, for families as we have stability after giving birth. So Lucas, make me a little bit smarter. I mean, my understanding is eligibility for Medicaid is pretty much, is, is very much means tested. It's for people who kind of are poor, right? So yep. give me the technical reason why a mom certainly doesn't become rich after she gives birth. So why she lose Medicare? She's still poor. You know, that's a, a great question, Monsignor. One of the reasons that uh, in a lot of states, and of course, every state Medicaid plan is slightly different. So, right. uh, so what the experience might be for Medicaid in New York might be very, very different to somebody in another okay. state. 
because the states ultimately do set up a lot of the, the program right. plans. Uh, but being pregnant is one of the things that might give you eligibility to Medicaid. It. So it's okay. beyond just the issue of, of, of income. Okay, got it. Okay, I get it. So, so okay, so that seems to me a really good thing that, yeah. you know, that was extended. And I, I think I understand, I, you know, I do understand. And, um, you know, let me, let me just do a little bit of civics 101 for some of our listeners who uh, may need a little help. So when Lucas talks about Medicaid, and we all think about it, as boy, this national program which covers healthcare, but given the fact that we got fifty states, um, even though it's a federal plan, each state basically has a lot of options to say, "I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it this way. I'm not going to cover this. I'm going to cover that." So I think what Lucas said is that there was hope that as part of the Medicaid plan, that all the states would have to require it, but. It's basically an opt-in, but I think it's pretty good. What'd you say? 30 states have already opted in? They have. 30 have done it. And now with this kind of surety in the law, uh, it gives a lot more confidence to states or legislators at the state level who are thinking about doing it uh, to say, you know what, this is going to be permanently part of the program. We're going to do this to support the mothers in our states. I think for your listeners to know that if your state hasn't done it, to call your legislator and say, hey, this is a an option that we have in our state, we should take the step to join in and uh, cover the mothers in our own states. Great. That is wonderful. So that's that's one good thing. What else? What else we got? Well, I think another one that was really big was the extension of the CHIP program. So that's a, the Child Health Assurance Program, of course, is the program that uh, covers uh, low-income children. Um, and one of the things that's always been a concern with the program is as it gets to the end of a its authorization of whether the program will continue to exist or whether it will become an opportunity for dramatic changes to the program. And one of the things the bill did at the end of the year was extend the program through 2029. Uh, it also uh, continued, similar to the mother coverage, continuous eligibility for children under the CHIP. So those children who are getting insurance uh, through the CHIP program uh, would have continuous eligibility uh, through 2024. Uh, I think that was another opportunity to make sure that children, uh, in addition to their moms, also have uh, coverage going forward. And so that's pretty. So, give all this a little bit. How does CHIP relate to Medicaid? Uh, they're often related, uh, depending on the state. Again, depending on the state that you're in. In some states, uh, uh, your Medicaid and CHIP program eligibility will be almost identical. Uh, sometimes you'll be eligible for CHIP. Uh, because it's the child health program in your state uh, that will give you access to health insurance. So it really kind of will depend on your eligibility determinations in your states. Um, and I think that kind of leads to the one challenge that came out of the bill, and I think is probably the biggest challenge we face um, for low-income health insurance going forward in the next coming weeks and months, and that is that the public health emergency is coming to an end. Um, and that the public health emergency I think you know most people pay attention to the, the declaration, but what it did was since 2020 at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, because it was hard for people to continue to show that they continued to be eligible, that they continue to meet the eligibility requirements, there was um, waivers put into the program to allow people to can remain eligible who had previously been eligible. Well, those options are coming to an end right now. Uh, as part of the year-end bill, it actually set a end of March date uh, for those continuous eligibility flexibilities to go away. 
which means now states are going to have to take the steps of going back and recertifying the eligibility of the people on their Medicaid rolls. Um, and while that seems like a simple uh, process, uh, the reality is it's a gigantic process because that means it's people filling out paperwork, showing their pay stub, showing their eligibility, and continuing to show that they continue to be eligible for the program. So uh, give our, coming in next week. Lucas, give our uh, sense, if you know, when you talk about how monumental a task is, um, how many people are on med- Medicaid in the in the country? Uh, Medicaid, I don't have the specific numbers on me right now. Um, but, but, but I believe it, we're, but it's, we're, but we're it's looking tens up to 14 tens million, of million. To lose it as a result of this um, program. Right, right. So, and, you know, recertification, you know, it's it's pretty complicated. I mean, you know, we all know, <laughs> I mean, just just think about it. When you go to open a bank account, when you go to do anything, the amount of documentation they need that you need to do an ordinary transaction. So this this could be very, very detrimental to millions of people. Yeah, I pulled it up and it's around 91 million people are either on Medicaid chip or one of those programs. So it's as you see, it's a, it's a monumental task that uh, states are going to have to do. And it's the organizations like your own uh, Catholic Charities there in New York, which I think are going to play a critical role of reaching out to the people who are going to need help. Um, you know, anybody who's ever filled out a bunch of government paperwork knows that it's not always that easy and mm-hmm. it's going to require help and assistance. And I think uh, we're trying to do our part to get the word out that this is about to happen uh, so that we can all kind of step, step up and help people that need it. So, Lucas, let me, um, this has been very helpful. Let me just change the topic a little bit more broadly. What are some of the critical issues that are facing our Catholic healthcare institutions these days that are that's also on your agenda? Because I think, you know, for a lot of people throughout the country, I think they take great comfort in the quality, the professionalism, the compassion of our Catholic hospitals, our Catholic healthcare institutions. But there are a lot of challenges. So let our listeners know what are some of the some of the challenges that our our Catholic healthcare institutions are facing. Well, I, I think there's a couple. There are some that are directly to our institution. Then, of course, there are those that are related to how do we make our communities healthier? Um, because I think, like any nonprofit or anybody working in the healthcare community, our job isn't just to make ourselves uh, healthy, but it's also to make our communities safer. So. I think one challenge that on the looking at particularly healthcare providers is is that it's been a particularly challenging year for healthcare providers, uh, and Catholic hospitals are no exception to that. And this includes not only hospitals but nursing home, long care term facilities. And looking at the how do we continue to meet the needs of our community with the continuing increasing costs that are associated with doing so, um, that's led to challenges really for our systems that. They haven't been used to. I think uh, different changes related to the workforce have really changed how healthcare is being done. And it's created a real concern as to how do we continue to uh, meet the needs of the community while keeping our doors open. So I think that's one is how do we address this kind of challenge related to the workforce? And I think one way we can do that is, of course, uh, supporting programs that support people entering into the workforce. So future nurses, future doctors, future people who uh, may be working 
to work in the healthcare workforce who maybe don't have the training today, but uh, with a bit of training could help us uh, provide our communities with, with significant healthcare workforce uh, is one area that I think we'll be working on uh, a great deal in the coming weeks and months. Um, the other part of it is continuing to push the access, and this is more to the community, around the issue of access to health insurance that's affordable for everybody. I think we talked a bit about the Medicaid, of course, which provides coverage for uh, many of our poorest uh, Americans. And we also have the Medicare program, which provides health care for our senior citizens. But what about everybody else? How do we make sure that we continue to have health care that is uh, accessible and affordable to people so that they can access to health care? And I think... Hey, hey, Lucas, let me let me interrupt you. And, yeah, go ahead. And... Um, ask you a, a bad question, okay? Yeah. What do you mean people don't have health care? I thought we did this Obamacare thing. And <laughs> so now I thought everybody's covered in the country. So what are you talking about? People don't have health care. Well, what? I think that's also been a, a common misnomer that that's what the bill did when it didn't. Uh, unfortunately, the bill was actually a many different aspects. It is bringing together our government forms of health care, Medicare and Medicaid largely, uh, at the state level, they might have a different name, but it's largely the same programs. And then you have your private, often employer-provided healthcare insurance. But then you also have what we call the, the Affordable Care Act, or as they say, Obamacare, uh, coverage provisions, which allow for individuals to buy health insurance on the, on the open market or in their state plans, if they have one in their states, um, who may otherwise not afford it. And while the program does provide great subsidies, um, for individuals, and actually one of the, the big wins in healthcare last year was the extension of uh, more subsidies for working individuals to get access to uh, health insurance through the Affordable Care Act. The reality is we still have around uh, 8% of Americans who don't have health insurance. Um, and while this is last year was actually, I think it was earlier this year, uh, it was some of the lowest rates of uninsurance in the recorded history of our country. But the reality is we still have millions of Americans who don't have it. So I think continuing to work to um, protect the gains that we've made is one step, but also making sure we have coverage who still, for those who still don't have it. So, Lucas, thank you so much for your time. You get one final shot at things is, before I let you go, if there were one policy change that you could just dictate, if we made you the czar, one policy change that would improve the health of Americans, what would that policy change be? I think it would be one, making permanent those ACA Medicaid exchanges that we already did. I think those give not only the, our lowest income people priority, but they also give priority to working families who maybe don't have the best coverage in the world for their employer, but could be able to afford it on their own. Uh, they're too rich to be poor, but they're not rich enough to be able to afford everything they need. I think that is two things that we could do immediately, and it wouldn't cost us a whole lot to make a real difference in health insurance in our country. Lucas Swanpole, the Senior Director for Government Relations, the Catholic Health Association of the United States, one of those associations that represents an incredible number of Catholic health institu healthcare institutions that are providing care in almost every part of the nation and providing it well high quality, with mission-based, with values, just a critical part of healthcare for Americans and 
health Americans of all religions, because our Catholic hospitals don't ask whether you're Catholic, whether you come in. If you need help and it can be provided, our Catholic hospitals do that. Lucas Wampo, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Thank you, Monsignor. God bless. Great. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and more compassionate. Tom, I know we spoke about Rice Bowl with uh, CRS because it's Lent is coming up. So tell me, Tom, what are you doing for Lent this year? I'm doing two things, Monsignor. Um, The first thing is uh, I'm going to, and this is going to be hard for me because, you know, I don't have TV, but I'm going to give up all screen time 
after, unless it's work related, <laughs> I was like all screen time after 8 p.m. So like when I go home, I'm just going to maybe read a book. Maybe I'm going to, you know, just, you know, tidy up my apartment a little bit. I'm going to pray. Uh, I just decided that, you know, that was a good thing to do. Tom, if you tidy up your apartment and your office, <laughs> you can off all the time in purgatory. A lot of souls in purgatory. <laughs> a lot of souls will be released. To, li- to our listeners, <laughs> Tom is certainly somebody who doesn't want to waste things. So Tom, make sure that things are not wasted. Now, maybe some other people might say, he is somebody who is a collector mm-hmm. or whatever. But all I want, I, I'll just say that Tom doesn't, doesn't like to waste things. We don't, we don't need to get rid of things. Um, so, Tom, I appreciate that. But can, I, can I offer you a little bit of advice? Sure. Okay. Don't keep it, don't keep it generic. Just okay. say and I'm going to, you're going to laugh at me for saying that you got 40 days of Lent, give or take. Right. So just say after eight o'clock, you're going to spend 20 minutes every night cleaning. Okay. Okay. Very so, good. Okay. Because if you say, oh, I'm going to clean up everything, you're not going to do 20 right. minutes. That okay. way you take this corner, you take this pile, you take this, and then you got a little accomplishment. And then the next night you do another little bit. Yeah. That's actually a good idea, Monsignor. That's I would yeah. say, I would say, I would say it's true. Yeah. And so then, I think it's, it's, it's good. So what's your second thing? The second thing, this is something I was, cause I was looking into this cause I had a feeling you were going to ask me. So I said, I'm going to be prepared. Ah. And so um, I saw this and I thought this was really great. They, they had suggested this on one of those websites about creative ideas for Lent. And they said, during Lent, every time you pass through a doorway, say a little prayer to yourself, say, come Holy Spirit, every time you walk through a door. So I thought that's really kind of cool. You know, I mean, you know, you know, it's almost like being intentional about what's God going to present to me, you know, should I, you know, have be open to, you know, God's presence when you walk through the door. So they say every doorway you walk through, you're supposed to say, come Holy Spirit. So I'm going to try and do that. Very interesting. That's yeah, that's what I thought. Interesting. <laughs> um, but no buts. It's it's interesting. What would you estimate the number of bo- doorways you walk through each day? Oh, today, I'd say I probably walk through, and I know this sounds peculiar, but if you think about inside and outside doors, it's like 20. So, so being kind of one of those rule people in a sense like well, what's the real deal so do you if you walk through the same doorway twice you have to do it twice uh i would do it going into a place i wouldn't do it coming out of a place well i think you better check the website to make sure <laughs> you're not cheating, not cheating. um you know, I mean, the other thing you could do, I mean, if you want to get a lot of credit, just keep walking back and forth. No, yeah, well, that's true. Then you go. <laughs> but I don't know if you give, 
But then I don't know if you give the Holy Spirit time once you hear to, to actually come to you if you keep going back and forth. Yeah, he's quick. He'll get there. <laughs> He'll get there. Um, so anyway, well, that's good. That's good. But remember, Tom, so you got the prayer and you got the sacrifice. Right. Good. Now you need a third one. You need charity. Oh, the almsgiving. Um, Come can on. I, it's right. Can I do can I do Operation Rice Ball? Yeah, sure. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, so you got it. You so I got, got all three. Yeah, that was yep. good. So that is that is a, that is a good that's a good good thing. So anyway, I got to write something so that people can kind of think about what they're doing. And you know, my big point is there are three parts: there's the sacrifice, there's the prayer, and there's the uh, charity. And you got to pick one from each of those because they all deal with a different aspect of our reality. So anyway, Tom, thanks for rounding up the guests for this week. Um, And uh, look forward to being with you all next week. Just love God, neighbor, self. Our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in next week for the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.